you know what, we always say that nothing's too big for God, all right? The truth is nothing's too small for God either. Nothing's, nothing's hard for God. There's no scale of difficulty in answering prayers, all right? Just the same as God can heal cancer, all right? God can find a parking spot that you need. You know what I'm saying? So uh, God cares about the little things. And so um, um, we did not, when we scheduled this, we did not ex- I did not plan for Super Bowl Sunday to fall on preaching in church. So this is a new experience for me. And... Uh, uh, by the way, also, I want to give a shout-out. I saw in March you're having, is it Sean Deal is coming in March. Sean's a great guy. You're going to love having him in your church. So make plans to attend uh, when the next missionary comes in March. So um, I want to share with you something today. I'm going to talk about something. I hesitate to even say my message, some, what the topic is. It's going to sound kind of heavy, okay? But if you'll stick with me, I honestly, I hope and I trust that this message today is going to be a blessing to you. All right, uh, I also want to give just a quick shout out. Just remember, you know, the, I, I love football, all right? <laughs> I love football. I love the Chiefs. I love the Huskers. Don't hold that against me, okay? Um, but I just want to, as we, as we go through the message today, and I'm going to be, you know, watching the game, but I just remind yourself today, just a quick admonishment. The Bible says, set your heart on things above. And so no matter whether... The, the, the result of the game is good or whether the result of the game isn't what we would like, all right? I just want to encourage us all, let's remember that, I, I love the message, God's kingdom. You know, are we as excited about God's kingdom as we're potentially excited about the result of a football game? You know, and so not only that, but God's called you to be a participant in his kingdom, not a spectator. And so uh, that, is, that is just something. I don't know. I just felt like I wanted to say that, that no matter what happens with the game tonight, just understand God's kingdom is bigger. So anyway. Um, okay, so today I want to talk about idols. And so again, I, I apologize. I know some of you guys are like, who is this guy coming to my church and messing up my Super Bowl Sunday? And so I hope you'll I hope you'll forgive me, and I hope you'll go with me through this process. And I want you I want you to listen. So I want to talk about idols. And so some of you guys, as Americans, we don't we think about idols, and we think about the little even like a tiki doll or a Buddha, you know, a small crafted graven image. And the Bible says, don't do that. You know, don't bow down to a graven image. And that's and obviously, you know, we can say, for the most part as Americans, check that box, all right? I got that Ten Commandment covered, okay? If I may not have all of them covered, but that one I can do, you know. Uh, or maybe you're thinking about Simon Cowell, an American Idol, all right? And how, you know, you don't, you know, you, it's the TV show you watch to see how much or how little talent someone has, right? Because let's get real, all right? That, those first few episodes, you're looking to see who doesn't have any talent but is on the show. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, maybe you're thinking of that. But I want to say that, honestly, I want to look at a passage that Jesus talked about idols. Where Jesus talks about one specific idol, and he sort of gets to that point indirectly. And so, if you will, turn in your Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter 6. I have it on the screen as well. Um, I'm going to read it here. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, 
where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. It's a pretty incredible comparison. Jesus is comparing our attitude about God to our attitude about money. Think about it. The divine creator of the universe being compared to paper in your pocket. It's a pretty, pretty, pretty strange. You would say those are two disparate things. Those are two things that are totally unlike. Why is Jesus comparing them? Because our attitude and our emotions about those things compete. Jesus is essentially saying money can be an idol that will replace in your life God. Now, the thing is, is that it's, it's a little bit bigger than that, and we, we kind of lose it. And even in the translation of the Bible that I read, it, it, I, I, don't, I don't love it because if, if you look at the passage, the paragraph before, where Jesus is talking about uh, maybe your Bible translation you've read, you've read it where it says your good eye and your evil eye. You're saying if your eye is good, your whole body is full of light, but if your eye is evil, your whole body is full of darkness. You ever kind of been confused about that, passes four? You ever thought, that's weird? Why is Jesus talking about my good eye and my evil eye? Well, it's sort of, and it, what's really kind of interesting is that in, in Muslim and in Arab culture, in many parts of the world, there is something called the evil eye. And it's a, it's a phenomenon that happens, um, and it's, it's a cultural thing. It's sort of, a, uh, if, it's a, if, if, how do I describe it? It's a phrase that people use that when describing something that happens. So uh, when, when something good happens to you, and you have uh, people can look at you with an evil eye, and they believe culturally, in, in, in many countries around the world, that people have the ability to essentially curse others by giving them a look. That sounds really weird, doesn't it? That's really, that's, that's not very familiar to us as Americans. Where we would say, that's a little bit odd. You know, they're, they're, just, they're just dumb. You know, we might, we might even try to think that. But this is what Jesus is talking about in this passage. Is that when people look with the evil eye at others, uh, it's, it's a reflection of what's on the inside of them. And so the evil eye typically deals with jealousy. It typically deals with envy. It, and it, it even deals with saying, hey, someone's situation is better than mine, and so I'm going to, I'm going to be jealous of them. So it, it might be, you know, someone has a nicer car than you. It might be that you're, you identify with the 99% and you're upset at the 1% that has it better than you. It might be that 
that you're, uh, you're angry that, uh, or maybe when you're, you're angry at people who are famous. You're angry at celebrities who have a lot of money. Maybe it even happens, to be honest, when you see celebrities that have a lot of money and they screw up their life. And it makes you happy. That's the evil eye. Maybe it refers to, uh, maybe in, 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 in another language, in German, it's called schadenfreude. Maybe you've heard that phrase before. But it's the feeling of being happy at others' misfortune. That's part of what Jesus is talking about here. Maybe it's, maybe it's when that guy at work, that's that thorn in your side, maybe when he got fired and it made you happy. That's what Jesus is talking about. Is that feeling of looking at others and rejoicing at their misfortune. That's part of what the, Jesus is saying, don't do. Maybe it's uh, when you have that obnoxious supervisor that got a new car and in the first week she got a big scratch in the side of it and you laughed about it. Anytime you have any of these feelings, you're experiencing what Jesus describes as having an evil eye. And to be honest, it all comes down in some way, shape, or form to money. It comes down to how your attitude about money. And so when you have this, please, please, I understand. I, I'm, I've, I fight these feelings myself. I don't want you to feel like I'm, I'm saying something I don't struggle with. We need to repent. We need to repent because in some ways it's a status, it's a statement of the condition of our heart and how we're not satisfied with what God has blessed us and given us with, but that we have to look outside of ourselves to feel better and to look for misery in others to feel better about ourselves. Jesus calls that evil. And idolatry. Now, so you don't have to have a little graven image in a special corner of your house to worship in order to be an idolater. But this is the idolatry that Americans typically practice. All right? So, idols. So then I want to talk about another type of idols, and it is, if you will, the next slide, your idols. Yes, it's a, it's a homophone, yes. And so uh, I want to read in Matthew chapter 21... Talking about all kinds of idols today, all right? Matthew chapter 21, verse 28. What do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I will go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. So Jesus uses this example of a son. Now as a parent, I've had many times where I tell my kids something to do, and they say, eh, I don't know, not so sure about that. You ever had struggle with that as a parent? Where it's like, uh, how do I get my kids to do? Yeah, okay, yeah. All right. Uh, for those of you who have uh, new children, okay, that's okay. Don't worry. Um, it, it will happen. You know, you'll join the club. All right, that's okay. Um, but 
what, what I want to do is there's many times in our life where God tells us to do something. And we say, yes, Lord, I'll do it. And then our follow-through is poor. There's many times where we say, you know what, God, I'm, I'm, we, we're here at church and God touches our heart and we say something special. And, but then when it comes to actually doing it, when it comes to actual moment where we need to, it's like, hey, God, I'm going to show love to people this week. And then there's that guy at work that's just a jerk and you emotionally explode all over him. Or maybe it's, you know, you're on your way home or you're driving later that week and you see someone on the side of the road who's asking for money and you have the opportunity to give him something and you don't. Or maybe it's someone that, that needs a kind word and you withhold it. See, the, the thing is, is there's so many times in our life where we, we, don't, we don't blatantly go out to, to sin but we withhold good from other people. We do nothing. And it's that doing nothing that, isn't, that effectually disobeys God. When God says to do something and to go and we stay, that's wrong. You know, we, don't, we may not go out Saturday night drinking. We may not you know, engage with you know, in other activities that, that we would all agree is sin. We may not step out on our spouse, but we withhold affection from them in the way that we know that they want to hear. That's idleness. That's sin. There's a man uh, in the 16th century, and uh, he was persecuted. His name was Dirk Willems. And he was... uh, he was an uh, the, the, anyway. He was persecuted for his Christian faith. He was an Anabaptist. He was Protestant. We would he, we would say he's he's in our spiritual heritage, so to speak. He was arrested. He was imprisoned in a tower in the Netherlands. He made a makeshift rope uh, to escape, and he climbed down the rope from the tower in the castle, and he landed on the ice of the moat around the castle. And because he had been in prison for uh, many days and weeks, he was—he uh, had been fed prison rations. He was much lighter, so he could—he ran across the ice. A guard had seen him escape and had come out of the castle and was also crossing across the moat. And the guard was well fed and well armed, and as a result, much heavier than Dirk, and he fell through the ice. Dirk turned around and saved the guard. And as a result, the guard arrested Dirk again, put him back in prison, and eventually he was executed. You see, Dirk's faith didn't allow him to do nothing. Dirk's faith didn't allow him to be idle in that moment. Jesus says, bless those who persecute you. Jesus says to love those who hate you. Jesus says to pray for those who persecute you. I don't know that I would have had the... the, I couldn't say today that I have the strength to do that. But in truth, if Dirk had been idle, if he had done nothing, that guard would have died. 
Are there people in your life that are dying because you're doing nothing? Are there people in your life that are, that are starving for God's Word because you won't share it with them? Are there people who are, who are dying for encouragement and you withhold it from them? See, do we mean it when we sing, Lead me, Jesus, where my faith is without borders? Do we mean it when we sing, Blessed be your name on the road marked with suffering, though there's pain in the offering? Blessed be your name. Are we willing to make our offerings in pain? Do we mean it when we sing, What have I to dread? What have I to fear? Leaning on the everlasting arms. I have blessed peace with my Lord so near, leaning on the everlasting arms. Are we willing to worship Him and serve Him even though it costs us something? Think of a, a, a story of a man named Alexander Duff. He was a Scottish missionary to India. And he had served there for many years, for most of his life. And he actually was returning to Scotland to, uh, to retire and to, to live out the rest of his days, he, had, he, was, um, he, did not, he was not in well health. And he was speaking to the General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church. And he was making an appeal specifically, specifically for more workers. He was asking for more people to come and work in India. There was, and no one responded. In the middle of his, of his appeal, he actually fainted because of his health. And a, a doctor was present, and a doctor came up and was talking to him. And, and while the doctor's uh, re- reviving him, Alexander Duff says, where am I? Where am I? And the doctor says, lie still. You have a heart attack. You've had a heart attack. Lie still. Alexander Duff said, but I haven't finished my appeal. Take me back. Take me back. I must finish my appeal. So uh, in spite of the protests, he got back and he stood on the, on, the, on the altar and he made his appeal and again, no one responded. And he said, when Queen Victoria calls for volunteers to India, hundreds of young men respond, but when King Jesus calls, no one goes. And he said again, and no one, no one moved or said anything. He said, is it true that the fathers and mothers of Scotland have no more sons to give for India? No one said anything again. And he said, very well. Then aged though I am, I'll go back to India. I can lie down by the banks of the Ganges and I can die, and thereby I let the people of India know that there is one man in Scotland who loved them enough to give his life for them. In a moment, young men from all over the assembly sprang to their feet, crying, I'll go, I'll go. Are you willing to lay down your life? See, here's the thing. To be honest, it's, it's easy, I, especially for men, it's easy for men. Men will stand up for, for things like even military or for being like in security at churches or for being a guard or police officer or a fireman, men will lay down their lives and die for others. But what's harder is living for them or living with them. So I'm asking you the question today, 
Will you lay down your life and live for other people? Or will you do nothing? We have to repent of our idleness. And the last one I want to talk about today is uh, we must repent of our idols. Yeah, it's a stretch, I know. Uh, and if you're, an, if you're an English teacher or an English major, you're cringing on the inside, but I appreciate you, uh, you going with me. Hey, let's read out of chap, uh, the book of Mark, chapter 8. Uh, in verse 22. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him, Jesus, to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. See, it's kind of interesting, if you think about it, Jesus, the Son of God, the embodiment of the Creator of heaven and earth, inside of a man's body, touched him, actually spit on his eyes, and when the man opened his eyes, he could not see clearly. He saw men as trees. Jesus saw men as men. This man saw men as trees. And Jesus touched him again, and his sight became clear. So my question today is, how do you see other people? Do you see other people the same way Jesus does? Do you see people in the same way that, that it, the, the world and the adjectives that you describe about people, are they the same words and adjectives that Jesus would use when describing about Jesus, about, about people? See, it's, do you see them as individuals or do you see them as labels? Have you taken a label and put it on people? And to be honest, that label minimizes who that person is. See, honestly, I, I'm kind of concerned right now with how, how comfortable our culture has become at insults, especially, especially come election times, okay? Especially at elections. Are you, I mean, you just, just read your Facebook page, read, read your Twitter feed, read the news headlines, and you're going to see people throwing words and labels around to be honest, words and labels I didn't even want to put in my sermon. How do you treat people who are different than what you think? How do you treat how do you treat people that if you disagree with them politically? I think it's it's too easy to say that hey, if if you're a Christian then you have to be a Republican, or if you're a Christian, you have to be a Democrat, or if you're a Christian, you have to be a Chiefs fan, or whatever. I mean, that's ridiculous, I know. But how is that ridiculous? But the other ones aren't. Yeah. 
you would turn with me to Titus chapter 3. Titus is a little book of the Bible. It's sometimes hard to find. If you find Thessalonians and Timothy, it's right after that. Titus chapter 3, verse 2. This is a reminder for, for you. Titus 3, chapter 2. Remind them, that the first verse talks about reminding them, and the second one says, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Now, I think that is about the antithesis of our political environment right now in the United States. So I want to challenge you. If you are politically minded, all right, I don't mean to be hammering on this, but I just felt like I should. If you, especially right now, if, if you like to make posts and comments politically about one party or the other, all right, or one politician or the other, or viewpoints of others, I would challenge you, write out that verse at the top of your computer screen, or put it as that as a, as a screensaver on your phone, and read that verse before you post. Because that's an admonishment from the Holy Spirit to say that, you know, Christians are supposed to be known by their love. Not by their, not by the, the, their, their signs or by the pictures that they use in describing politicians or not by even how well they show up at the voting box, but they're supposed to be known by their love. And lastly, I, I mean, in some ways, as, as we're going to the Muslim world, I also want to challenge you, how do you look at Muslims? What words do you think of? What come to your mind when you think of Muslims? Maybe terrorists? Liars? Idol worshippers? I mean, I've, I've literally had times where I, I visit with people about what we're doing, and he said, and people have said to me, you know, I'd have lunch with one Muslim, but if I was going to have lunch with two Muslims, I think I would have to have my gun with me. Or maybe even, maybe even it's as harsh as, or as, as blanket statement as saying, you know what, I think we should just nuke them all and let God sort them out. That sounds harsh, doesn't it? But how do you see Muslims? See, in, in truth, God, we look at Muslims, we, just as my wife said, someone who has accepted a counterfeit. Someone who has, has been told, hey, this is good for you, and they've accepted a counterfeit. So they don't, they don't deserve our hatred. They don't deserve our, our, our disdain. They don't even deserve our apathy. They deserve our prayers. They deserve our love. They deserve our actions to actively share with them God's kingdom. See, I think in sometimes our hatred of Muslims is expressed in apathy. You know what? If we do nothing, then they're going to suffer in hell. And are we happy about it? Some Christians might be. If you have the attitude that maybe we should just destroy all of the Muslims, there was another, there's another story where a couple guys really had that idea of that having a blanket destruction of people who rejected Jesus. That story is in John chapter 9. It's James and John. They wanted to destroy a Samaritan village that wouldn't let Jesus come in. 
he wasn't real happy with them either. So in our remaining time, could I invite the someone to come and play some music up here? Because I, I thank you for being ready in season and out. In our remaining time, I just want to take a little bit of time of prayer. And on this Super Bowl Sunday, to give you a chance to repent. And I hope I hope you hear the the spirit of my message. I, I'm not condemning you. I just want us to to be aware that there's times in our life where we have inadvertently engaged in worshiping idols. We've inadvertently worshipped uh, worshipped at the idol of of materialism and 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 money and worshiping money and it, not, whether we have a lot or a little of money we can still worship money and there's been times where we need to repent of our inaction we need to repent of of being idle when God called us to action and we need to repent of not seeing people the way Jesus saw them we need to repent of Having idols. I know, that's so bad. And so as as just the music plays, I just want just want you to take time and I I have a feeling that God has put a finger on one of these areas in your life. There's a specific situation that either happened this last week or that you think is gonna happen this coming week. There's a person in your life that God has has brought to mind that you need to repent of how you're interacting with them. Or there's something you've done in the past that you, you know was wrong, and if given the opportunity, you would do something different. So I just want to take a few minutes right now. And it's between you, it's between you and God. And just tell him that you're sorry and ask him to help you.